To stay on top in business, stay on top of your technology with the new Business Desk podcast, the business of tech. Listen on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to a podcast from Newstalk ZB. Follow this and our wide range of podcasts now on iHeartRadio. Oh, g'day there, and welcome to the rewrap for Wednesday. All the best bits from the Mike Hosking Breakfast on Newstalk ZB in a sillier package. I am Glenn ZB, and this morning I want to welcome uh, new listeners to the podcast today because uh, we gave the podcast a big plug during the Mike Hosking Breakfast this morning. Um, in fact, I'm going to play that plug back uh, during the podcast today. So already you think you're regretting it, aren't you? That you've turned up based on something that you're already going to hear again. But the, the reason that many of you might be here is because you were complaining that Mike hadn't said anything about the Durham report out of the US, um, and he did. He just did it early on, and we'll get to that shortly. But you are going to have to listen to some other stuff before we get there, like Mike's thoughts on the uh, forthcoming budget, uh, where we are with our literacy and numeracy, and uh, do we care about pecuniary interests of politicians? But budget first, because is it tomorrow? Tomorrow budget day, eh? I am somewhat bemused this week at all this budget commentary you might be seeing and reading at the moment. A lot of it is written up as some sort of last chance saloon. The government know that they're in trouble come the election, so this is their last chance to rectify matters, to turn the tide, to right the ship. Uh, do those who write this, Tosh, honestly believe that we are that stupid? Their logic is that a government gets almost six years to run their agenda, and when that agenda hits a massive wall, somehow the power and magic of a single fiscal document on a Thursday afternoon can be enough to save them. Just just what can possibly be in this document of such extraordinary and gargantuan proportions that vast swathes of the doubtful can be swung in the matter of perhaps an hour's worth of delivery from the chambers of power? If perchance the document has the fairy dust to wake us from a six-year slumber where we've been tossing and turning, dreaming about our kids not going to school and recession sweeping the land and our current account deficit being the worst in the world and the access to healthcare being farcical, and we all woke up to realise none of it was true. We did, in fact, live in utopia. Then maybe some of this far-fetched forecasting might carry a little bit of weight, but we all know differently, of course. You can't have a last gasp budget able to turn night to day when you've got the polls telling you the majority of people think said country's going in the wrong direction. Budgets as single documents on winter afternoons in May don't take a country going in the wrong direction and fix that, or indeed anywhere close. Uh, Even on the best of days, a budget has limited impact. Even when a government's rolling in surplus and they hand out tax cuts and forecast full employment and plenty of future growth, that single document does not an election victory guarantee. Far less a government that's drowning in debt, having spent a fortune to no obvious material benefit. Sure, if Robertson stands up this week and literally goes, look, we've stuffed up completely here, that'll be received fairly poorly, so he won't do that, obviously. He will do his usual thing where he says it's everyone else's fault and the war and the price of oil and everyone's in the same boat and we're well placed, blah, blah, blah. And he will hope that most voters aren't paying enough attention to call him out. But the reason all the pre-budget rhetoric is wrong is governments lose elections. It's a time-honoured understanding. Governments lose elections, and they lose elections because the die is cast. And once it's cast, it's over. And for this lot, it's over. And the reason it's over is because the economic mess we're in, and it's from that very mess, he is looking to pull a rabbit. Quick clue, there is no rabbit. Or... Is it more like he, the rabbit was there the whole time? 
but you just didn't notice it until they drew your attention to it. Mm-hmm. Is that more more like it? It's not a bad strategy, is it? To create the problem so you can solve the problem? I guess we'll find out, won't we? The rewrap. Uh, is that what they're doing with the, the literacy and numeracy? Uh, making it really bad so then they can make it really good. Good luck with that. Uh, this won't be the big story that it should be today, uh, but there's this global study, another global study into our reading. Uh, they do numeracy and literacy. We've um, talked about this a great deal. Erica Stanford uh, prosecutes this in the House on a regular basis. It's a shocking state of affairs. Not only do kids not turn up at school these days, uh, when they do turn up, they don't learn. International assessment of year five students' reading abilities. This is done around the world every five years. PIRLS is what they call it, P-I-R-L-S. Reading skills of Kiwi students continue to go backwards. Does that surprise you? Lowest score... Since the inception of Pearls in 2001, so 20 years in, we've never done worse. That's your education system, 2023 New Zealand. Our reading score is now the lowest it has ever been. We're sliding backwards on every international measure of our international education performance. In our domestic measure, half of 15-year-olds cannot pass a foundational numeracy and literacy test. We already know that. In terms of numbers, if it means anything to you, back in 2006, for example, we had a score of 532. I'll reference this in a moment to give you an indication. But back in 2006, we were 532. 2011, it was 531. Then in 2016, it was 523. And uh, today, it's 521. So we've gone from 5.32 to 5.21. Is that significant? Yes, it is, because they're reporting across the Tasman about this this morning, and they're worried in Australia about their performance, and they've got 5.40. They outperform us by a mile. Australia's overall results remained steady. One in five primary students unable to meet the proficient reading standard, and they angst about that. It's the only major periodic global assessment of student progress that has not been cancelled during the pandemic, so it's important. Australia was one of eight countries where reading scores did not decline. 21 nations recorded lower results than 2016, us included, of course. Australia, surprise, surprise, outperforms at 540. Us, the Netherlands, Germany, France, Malta and Portugal. But, and here's this is interesting, Australia, therefore us, was outperformed by six key countries. Singapore, does that surprise you? Not remotely. Hong Kong, not remotely surprised. England, interesting. Poland, Finland, they'd be worth looking at. What are they doing to make themselves so much better at reading than we are? And, are you ready for this? We outperformed by Russia. Russia educates their kids in reading better than we do. What does that say about us, eh? But can we, I mean, can we completely rule out the, the possibility that Russia, if their kids aren't meeting numeracy and literacy standards, they just mysteriously disappear and are never heard from or seen together again? And then can't be counted? Just throwing that out there. Um, I, don't, I don't believe a lot of stats that come out of Russia, if I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. 90% of parenting is just thinking about when you can have a break. <sighs> and when you do take a break, enjoy the Parenting Hangover podcast. They go together like a tutu and jandals. We've said from the get-go, we ain't parenting experts. No. But it's cool to hear, what is your neighbour doing? What do they say? A problem shared is a problem halved. Oh, that's good. Not that my children are problems, or a, but I feel better talking about it. The Parenting Hangover with Clinton Jordan. New episodes every Thursday on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. The rewrap. Now, for the moment, uh, a lot of you have been waiting for. Uh, you're here because you wanted to hear uh, Mike's thoughts on the Durham report. Uh, now, for those of you who don't know what the Durham report is, might Mike might explain some of it here. Uh, or he might just assume that you know. What keeps Donald Trump in the game was best exemplified yesterday when Special Counsel John Durham released his report into the Trump-Russia investigation. Crossfire hurricane is what they called it. The DOJ, the Department of Justice and the FBI have been found 
shockingly wanting. It is a massive win for Trump. Did Trump, along with Russia, rig or interfere with the 2016 election? Durham found the FBI and the DOJ failed to uphold their mission of strict fidelity to the law. Senior FBI personnel displayed a serious lack of analytical rigor towards the information they received, especially information from politically affiliated persons and entities. This information in part triggered and sustained Operation Crossfire and contributed to the subsequent need for Special Counsel Robert Miller's investigation. In part, in particular, there was a significant reliance on investigative leads provided or funded by Trump's political opponents. Doesn't get a lot clearer than that, does it? And for all you can say about Trump, and there is a lot, it's on days like the Durham report that you can confirm, if you hadn't already, that essentially they're all as bad as each other. And that is why America is such a messed up shambles. Why they're battling default yet again. Why the place is so dangerously politically divided. Why they can't find a decent candidate to run for president. Pick your list of ailments. I've got no doubt the Hunter Biden story has many more miles to travel and the Biden family will not come out of it unscathed. The same way you can most likely conclude that the Clinton family aren't exactly the squeakiest of players. Trump gets a lot of hate because he's loud, he's a bully, and he's too often his own worst enemy. But... Stoking the flames of support and belief, reinforcing the base that love that red meat so much, are reports like Durham's. Trump on certain days actually has an argument. He can, in fact, claim there are those out to get him. There are those who will lie and use whatever means at their disposal to try and destroy him. And if you're up for that fight, which he appears to be, and if you have supporters who get off on that sort of conflict, which he does, you have yourself, rightly or wrongly, a leading candidate for president, Durham, and what he says is fuel, and fuel drives publicity, and publicity drives the polls. And look at the polls. Look at where Trump is. Look where anyone else in the Republican Party is. There's your answer. Of course, uh, one small issue there is that uh, for the non-Trump supporters, and, and again, thanks for tuning into the show, Trump fans, but for the non-Trump supporters, they seem to think that Mr. Durham is... Uh, well, he has a somewhat compromised and biased point of view, which is, of course, is exactly what he's accusing people like the FBI and other people like that of having complicated business, isn't it? American politics. The rewrap. But never let it be said that the Mike Hosking Breakfast does not uh, present a fair and balanced point of view, or indeed is not always listening. Mike, we know you're not a Trump guy. But your audience deserves more respect than the deafening silence around the high-level political corruption exposed in the Durham report. I couldn't agree with you more. And you clowns have got to get out of bed earlier. I open the show with it. I open the show with it. This show starts at 6 o'clock. Do not come to me at six minutes away from nine out of your, you know, <clears throat> what's the mic on about? Don't come to me at six minutes away from nine telling me about the deafening silence. The only deafening silence was you asleep. Missing my commentary at 6.05 this morning. Not, not to worry. I'll make sure I put it in the very well-regarded and quite highly ranked uh, rewrap podcast Okay, firstly, It'll firstly, who, who, who regards it well? Oh, heaps of people. And, and, and when you say highly ranked, by who? By, by, by you sound like a labour MP. The pod ranker. You sound like a. You, you it's, sound a, it's, a it's the same thing that has you as the, it has the Mike Hosking Breakfast as the number one ranked what podcast in the country. In the in the twenties, <laughs> hey, I'm ahead of Conan O'Brien. Needs a friend, mate. I'm ahead of Conan O'Brien. In the twenties, 
Okay, what's Look it, it like? Look people, the re-wrap. Get onto it. Is that what it is? Okay, well, you put that in and all the people, all the all the, all the Trumpies going to be into that. And the other funny thing about uh, the, the, the bit of correspondence there that started with saying, Mike, we know you're not a Trump guy. He literally did another comment piece yesterday or the day before, recently anyway, where he said if he had to choose between Biden or Trump, he'd vote for Trump. So it's amazing how people just sort of hear what they want to hear. The rewrap. Um, back here, back in New Zealand politics, we've got the pecuniary interests uh, being published today for the for the MPs, uh, just to make sure they're not they're not uh, you know receiving any favours or they're up to anything dodge. Just seems to me, if you missed the conversation earlier on in the programme, uh, this this annual list of all the stuff that the MPs have got their gifts, and I mean a few of them have gotten. <laughs> So moderately interesting gifts, and I get the whole idea. The whole idea was if you're stashing crypto and gold bars and you're dealing with weird jurisdictions overseas, you look like a dodgy operator, and these lists are designed to out the dodgy operators. Uh, upshot is there are no dodgy operators in New Zealand politics. The best we've got is the odd ticket to a concert, the odd ticket to Australia, a uh, bit of clothing every now and again. Judith Collins seems to have had some excitement in a helicopter. It really, it is, it, it's a weird list. And the upshot is you also get to include how much money you owe, who you owe the money to, whether you own a house or not. It's not really that revealing. Um, I prefer a list of things that tell us a little bit more about the type of the people they are. Like, you know, what's on their um, watch list on Netflix, for example. That sort of thing. That's the kind of list I'd, I'd like. Uh, you know, what's on their shopping list at the supermarket. It's the wrong kind of list. Let's get those other lists. I'm Glenn ZB. Uh, that is uh, that was the rewrap. Thanks again um, for those people. Who did. You coming back tomorrow? Uh, are you wondering if it gets better than this? Come back tomorrow. Find out. See you then. The rewrap. The rewrap. For more from Newstalk ZB, listen live, on air or online and keep our shows with you wherever you go with our podcasts on iHeartRadio.